Coaches, how are you today? I'm Coach Kevin Furtado of the Championship Vision Podcast. I'd like to welcome you to episode 101. Today, we got Coach Derek Sheridan. He's the head boys varsity basketball coach at Delta High School in Delta, Ohio. He has coached high school basketball for the last 24 years. The 2019-2020 season will mark his 18th season as head boys varsity basketball coach. Um, what I'm going to talk to Derek about today is um, he, his last two positions um, were at Maumee High School in Ohio and also now at Delta. And I'm going to talk to him, how does he build a basketball program? And I'm going to go through each sequence on what he is doing to build a great program. Uh, in addition, in addition, Coach is also um, a head PE teacher at Fort Miami Elementary School. So I'm going to talk about how does he coordinate? How does he become a great PE teacher? How does he become an excellent coach on rebuilding these programs? Um, <clears throat> coach actually played four-year varsity basketball player for Coach Dwayne Kiesling at Eastern Greentown High School in Greentown, Indiana. He played one year of Juco basketball for Coach Dennis Rutho, Hall of Fame coach at Gogebeck Community College in Ironwood, Michigan. He played three years for Coach Steve Platt, Hall of Fame coach at Huntington College in Huntington, Indiana. Uh, he was head coach and athletic director at Marion Lakeview Christian High School in Marion, Indiana. He was the varsity assistant coach for T.J. Hunt at Toledo Catholic Central Catholic High School in Toledo, Ohio for one year. <clears throat> and now he's the head coach at Delta High School. And he's in the process of rebuilding Delta High School to compete in their conference. And I really want to talk to him, what is he doing to get this program, um, the culture, the, the system, the skills, uh, the attitude, the mindset of what is he doing to rebuild this program? And this is all part of the process of, of talking to coaches who are program builders, who are taking programs uh, that are not very good, that has not had uh, a lot of success. And what are they doing through mindset? What are they doing through skill development? What are they doing through team development? How is this being done? So I'd really like to welcome Coach Derek Sheridan. Derek, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Coach. How's that? Man, hey, <laughs> hey, it's good to hear you're back. <laughs> hey, uh, Coach, uh, hey, I, I would like to welcome uh, Coach Derek uh, Sheridan here to our podcast, and uh, I'm so excited to kind of pick his brain. Coach, give us a little background of where have you coach, uh, kind of your how you develop your great passion and love of the bas uh, of the game. Sure. Um... I've coached in two different states. I uh, started off as a sixth grade coach in Indiana and worked my way up to being a uh, varsity coach, varsity boys coach in Indiana, and met some of the finest, uh, not just coaches, but uh, people. I've had the, my wife and I have had the pleasure of meeting in our careers. My wife is also a teacher. Um, from Indiana, from northern Indiana, we moved over to Ohio, um, and I was, I've was i been a head basketball coach in Ohio now for um, 
gosh, I think 15 years, something like that. Uh, two different schools have been an assistant coach in Ohio for Northern Ohio for, uh, for two different school districts, Greenfield McLean and Toledo Central Catholic. So we've been, uh, we've been around for sure. <laughs> my wife and I, uh, as far as developing, developing a passion for it, uh, I would attribute that definitely to uh, my high school coaches and my college coaches. Um, and my father was a varsity football coach and mathematics teacher in Northern Indiana. My, my mom's father, uh, my grandfather, who's still alive, he's, he's a World War II vet in his mid-90s. He, uh, he was a varsity basketball coach and coached the offensive line on the football team and uh, taught Indiana history, was the subject, and uh, also coached some track. So I've been around coaches my entire life. Um, so I think the passion aspect was sort of just built into me when I was a, a young kid following my dad around being his ball boy. Yeah, you just don't know any better. It's in your blood, it sounds. Yeah, I think so. You've already mentioned some key people. Give me, give me, like, what made a difference in how you coach today? Uh, giving you one person would be difficult. Um, <laughs> gosh, if I had to break it down to one person, um, my college coach, Steve Platt, would, would definitely be in the top five. Uh, the way he handled us, the way he recruited, the way he, uh, the, the kind of person he recruited, uh, the way he ran a practice definitely had a huge impact on me. Uh, the way he taught X's and O's had a huge impact on me. Um, coach Gaber at Huntington North, um, he was on Bob Knight's coaching staff back in the seventies. And, and then he, he uh, transitioned from division one coaching to high school coaching in Indiana he had a huge impact on me. Um, so every stop I've made, or I should say we've made, we, we have found people that have had a, an incredible impacts on us. Eric Thompson, Mike McBride, uh, Dick Kroll, Bill Axe. It's a Jim Irwin. You know, it's, it's really a, not a long list by any stretch of the imagination, but the people who are on that list, um, were so good at one or two or three or four things that it stuck out and it led me to contact them. I guess that the, the, one of the best stories I tell anybody about my career is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm 25 or 26 years old and I get a head coaching job in the Lake athletic conference, which is now debunked with Northwest Indiana. And you could look as far as, you know, East is East or West is West and high school basketball in Northwest Indiana is, is, pretty much top of the line it, it's fantastic um but one morning uh my phone rings at five o'clock in the morning on a saturday and of course you know i'm in bed so i answer the phone and uh it's jim black who's the head basketball coach at lake central which at that period of time was the biggest public school in uh in the state of indiana so he says what are you doing well of course i said i'm watching film which was not true, <laughs> but it's Jim Black on the phone. Right. So he says, why well, eat breakfast every morning at this place in Highland, which I lived right outside of Highland. So I met him 
and we sat down and um, he started talking to me and he said, listen, I, I'm going to be real honest with you. One or two things is going to happen here. You're going to get up and leave or uh, you're going to let me help you. But he said, uh, you know, you're, I, I've watched your teams play a lot through scouting and you're in way over your head. You're not very good at this. And I'd had some success at the smaller school level in Indiana. So uh, my eyes about popped out of my socket. And my, uh, I didn't know how to take that. But he said, I'm going to help you. My biggest fear is your generation of coaches are going to mess our game up. Because when I was 25 years old, um, me getting a head basketball coach in this state was out. It wasn't going to happen. And I listened to him. I took notes. And to this day, I referenced the notes I took. Um, he was His candor was brutal. He was brutally honest with me. And he made me reevaluate everything we did. And he was right. Uh, and at that age, there was probably nothing better that could have happened to me than Jim Black taking that time out to sit down and tell me that I wasn't very good. And I think um, if anything ever happened to me in my career, other than, you know, getting a new job or losing a job, that would be the number one thing. Yeah, that's a, that's really transparent. I love that because most coaches would be very upset with that, but they, they would not learn from that. Uh, it sounds like you really did. I think we all need that, right? We need people to kind of really yeah. look at it. I Look think so. Uh, when it's coming from a guy like Jim Black, who's Hall of Fame, and he he was Jim Black, Tom Johnson, Jack Gaber, uh, Bill, or, you know, Coach East, those guys in Northwest Ohio or Northwest Indiana were legends, and they had all won more games than most people dreamed to win, and had so much success in the state tournament. But when it's coming from a guy like Jim Black. It's it, it's it, it really hits hard because, one, a guy like that's taking his time out of his schedule to talk to a young guy like me at that period of time of my life. And, two, nobody considered Jim Black to be anything other than a gentleman, number one, and, two, uh, a, a fantastic basketball coach. You know, top, there's not much more he can do except maybe win a state championship. And in Indiana – like in any state, that's hard to do. <laughs> right. So, yeah, com coming from a guy like Jim Black, um, it's like listening to your dad, for lack of a better term. <laughs> exactly. No, give me one. You don't have to tell us everything because cause that, that that's, you know, that's inside information. But give me one thing that he said that really made a difference for you that you started doing right away. Handling a press. He, he told me uh, right away that your press offense is suspect. You need to find a press offense that is conducive to the type of athletes you have and the type of ball handlers you have. And at that year, our ball handling was suspect with a capital S. <laughs> and I was running the same or teaching the same press offense that Coach Platt taught when I was in college, but we had an All-American point guard, Matt Eberle. And um, so he helped me with some things and showed me some things uh, to 
put you know to keep the ball off the deck for lack of a better term and keep it in the air more via the pass and sure and we to this day that's the press offense we use and and so give me an example of that so i, I mean I, I know i like to i like to attack middle i like to keep it out of the sideline i like to flash uh my wings from the weak side into the sure. middle uh the spacing all that you know good hard outlet passes uh, give me some, give me, give me, a, give me what you do. Give me what you learn from him on handle, handle a press. Uh, number one, we took our, our five man and we put him all the way opposite on the uh, block, right block, left block, whatever. We, but we got him the heck out of there. And every, you know, everything you just said is we, we flash from the weak side, but our four man starts off at the half court line in between the half court line and the volleyball line area. And he's flashing sort of following the basketball. It's a continuity press offense, but if we can get the ball to that four man in the middle and then what we call flanking the press where he can catch it square up, throw to the sideline and then hit middle again, we want that five man to get the ball, get a layup. Sure. And it's really simple stuff. It's extremely simple. But it's taking um, anyone who cannot handle the basketball and getting them the heck out of there. So it's not a press offense where you've got one player who's supposed to dribble the ball to point A to point B, whatever. It's 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 definitely a a press attack that is uh, accentuated with hard cuts off the ball and getting the ball to the middle, to the sideline, back to the middle. And you always have a player behind you. Um, is a safety. Yes. And it also, you know, for, uh, for us coaches, everybody needs to be a good ball handler. So all your bigs, everybody must have good hands. Correct. So everybody's doing ball, right. handling, particularly right. against pressure. I mean, uh, so a lot of it is fundamentals, but a lot of, like you said, a lot of it is, um, you know, placing your right players in the right spot, like your big, put them back. <laughs> right, and, and a lot of it's who's pressing you. Um, the way we play, we play so deliberately. Um, we get pressed every night, and nobody wants to play at our pace. So we're going to get pressed every night, whether it's a zone press or a full-court man-to-man or full-court man-to-man run and jump. Right. So we have to be able to conquer a press, or we're going we're gonna to be in for a lot of long nights. Um, but, yeah, the, the – Putting your players in, in in spots and in areas where they can be successful, I think, is probably one of the bigger overstatements of the obvious in our in our trade. Yes, absolutely. And I I really want to talk about a couple articles and in your book that you wrote. Uh, one of your articles uh, is um, uh, from Coaching Toolbox: The Coaching Basketball Eliminate Losing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you listed about fifteen things that teams must do kind of talk about that a little bit. What can we do as coaches to eliminate losing? Well, the, the eliminate losing uh, PDF was born out of uh, I, one of the things I've had a passion for, for, for almost 20 years is um, we run coaches clinics. So over t- uh, the two States I've been a uh, varsity basketball coach in, and plus, it's a fundraiser for your school. We've ran coaches clinics, and I've had some of the finest basketball coaches at the collegiate level or at the high school level speak at our clinics. And so 
I've got to hear guys like Chris Benedict, who in Indiana is is fantastic. Basil Mauby, uh, Todd Qualchuk at University of Toledo, Dick Kroll, who's retired now, but Northwest Ohio guy, Tom Johnson, yak, yak, yak. But all these guys talked about one or two things that their programs do to avoid losing. So I started compiling a list, and it's all stuff that's, that's super simple. But, you know, do you offensive rebound? Do you limit the opposition to one shot? Do you get the first rebound? If you're not getting the first rebound, are your kids keeping their feet moving to, get, to make darn sure they're getting the second rebound? Um, are, are you putting a team in a situation defensively where they know they're not going to get a lot of offensive rebounds against your team? So I think simple things like blocking out, pursuing the basketball with two hands, once your kids get the basketball, not throwing it back to the opposition, um, showing your hands when you're a cutter, zipping the ball when you pass. You know, Kirk Lehman, state championship coach here in Northwest Ohio at Defiance High School, um, his kids pass the ball at a higher rate, I, I mean velocity-wise, than any team I've ever seen. They move that ball from, uh, you know, side top side faster than any team I've ever coached against. So zipping the ball when you pass, putting some mustard behind it, your cutter showing your hands. Uh, are, you, are the right kids taking shots for you? Simple things like that. Your transition defense, I think, is imperative. Are you giving layups? How much time do you spend on your practice sessions on your transition defense? Uh, do your, you know, Dean Foster is another guy I've, I've left out. You know, he he imposed on me the importance of pivoting. And this is a guy that, the you know, over a six-year span in the state of Indiana, maybe have won more games with lesser athletes than any coach that I'd ever seen. And, and he, he talked to me for two hours just about how to meet passes and the pivot. Uh, simple things like that. Do your kids catch the ball and then they get down? Do their uh, tailbones drop? Are they in a triple threat position? Are their elbows out? Do they catch the ball ready to shoot? Teaching inside pivot foot. Uh, or, you know, and there's nothing wrong if you're an outside pivot foot or a permanent pivot foot coach either. But have a system. Teach your kids how to catch the basketball, how to, pivot, how to establish a pivot foot. Um, free throw blockouts, uh, getting the ball out of bounds and getting it back in safely, especially versus pressing. Those sorts of things, I think, all lead to taking away, um, you know, eliminating losing, for lack of a better term. Yeah, those are all simple things. Those are all controllables, right, Coach? And yeah. I, think, I think us coaches – think that it's it's above us. And I and I think what you teach at the elementary level, I think you teach at the pharmacy level, correct? Yeah. I, one of the things I took away from Coach Gaber definitely is if you're teaching or stressing the same things in January that you did in November, you're in for a lot of heartache. You can't move on in the game of basketball or probably any team sport until your kids are fundamentally sound. If you're teaching the kids how to run an offense and they can't catch the ball and pivot or pass the ball effectively, you're spinning your wheels. So for, you know, using Delta, right? That's my second year at Delta right now. We spent an hour yesterday on how to cut hard and how to catch the ball, show your hands to the ball. So all those things have to happen before you really get into the nuts and bolts of, of what you do tactically on the offensive end and defensively, it's the same thing. Do you close out? Are you closing out in such a way 
that you're not going to let the other team get an uncontested three? Are you moving on the pass? Um, are your feet up? I mean, are you are your defensive players in a stance off the ball? Do they have boxers' feet? Um, are they moving ready to go on the pass? Do your kids defensively anticipate? Those are things that um, have to take place really before, in my opinion, you get into um, a lot of tactical things, you know, whether you're a zone coach or a man coach. But if you get all those things that everybody seems to assume the kids know, if you hone those skills, and you might have some heartache early in the season because you might be a little bit behind as far as how many sets you have in or prep. That, but if the kids can do those things effectively without having to think about it, if it's instinctual to them, then you can move on and, and I think really have some success. But you're not going to have success, in my opinion, if your kids can't do those fundamental skills well. Or, or you know, Dean Foster taught me, you, I've never had a team where we were supposed to be great. I've always been a rebuilder. So, you have to be able to out fundamental people. If you've got a superior athlete guarding you or guarding your team and you're not fundamentally sound, you're going to lose that fight. Yes. I think yeah. In my, in my career, two of the college coaches whom I've never got to meet, but had a huge impact on me were uh, Bob Knight and Dick Bennett. Uh, Dick Bennett was the most simplified in specific teacher of basketball skills I'd ever seen. Um, he, he listening to him in a clinic spurred my, he got my attention. I thought, God, this is a guy that I really can relate with. And, and, and as did Paul Patterson at Taylor university, they didn't do anything flashy, but they also didn't beat themselves. And uh, those were guys I thought, God, I want to be like those guys. So it was basically the, what was, you know, spawn that list of things to do to eliminate losing were, were ultra simple, but I felt like they were things that if your kids don't do well, you're, unless you've got great players, you're going to have a lot of heartache as a head coach. Yes. And most of us don't, (laughs) most of us don't have the great players. Um, But uh, yeah, we, um, you know, the one thing that, that we focus, I coach girls basketball here and we, we got, we got a pretty good program. It's not great, but um, we always talk about live low, trying to keep the kids low. And we work on reverse pivoting every day. Cause I think, I think the, the reverse pivot is can get you in that attack position pretty quick. Um, It sounds like you believe in that. Yeah. I, I, I think to simplify what, what I'm saying is I learned at a young age with knowing the, the, the jobs I, I had and the jobs I have now and the job I have now is we start everything from the perspective is we're coming from a point of disadvantage. We don't have the best athletes in our league. We don't have the best basketball players in our league, but we can be the best fundamentally. And we're not there yet, but we're working to get there but that's our mantra is we are coming from a point of disadvantage Uh, from baseline to baseline. None of my kids are going to win a sprint Uh, vertical leap. Another example, um, we're not going to win a vertical leap contest, Uh, but 
if that that's just how we approach things. We are coming from a point of disadvantage. These are the things you have to be good at to be successful. And you seem like a coach, and I really admire that. You seem like a coach that goes into situations that are in bad shape and you try to rebuild. Is that something you look for? Is that, Or has that just been kind of what has happened in your coaching career? Because uh, it seems like you do – your. Somebody, you know, so, so tell me, what do you do to kind of build that new culture? Well, culture's never been something that I've spent a lot of or a great deal of time worrying about. Our culture is hard work and being very specific in our teaching. Um, we, we want to get the kids, number one, more than anything, to go at it hard. You know, I know that's a sports cliche, which I don't use many of those, but we want to cut, be that we want to cut hard. We want to screen well. We want to teach proper screening angles. Uh, we want to pass the ball efficiently. We want to be able to get the ball from point A to point B efficiently. But I felt in my career, having to rebuild so many times, number one, it was don't do the same things that got the guy preceded you in trouble and two um <laughs> we're going to play in such a way that's not really the most aesthetically pleasing but we've always felt like it was the way that the current kids we had in building putting them in a situation to be successful uh, we've never I've never had a team where I could say, OK, we're going to pick people up baseline to baseline and we're going to try to score 80 points a game, uh, which is the way we played in high school. But heck, um, the, the kids I grew up with, by the time we were varsity athletes, we were pretty darn good. Uh, fundamentally, i would never had that kind of team in my career. Um, I think you've got to develop shooters. I think that's the huge do you have the right kids shooting the basketball the kids that are in the gym that, that dedicate themselves that dedicate themselves becoming great shooters um can can be a difference maker it could also go the, the flip side of that coin is if you've got the wrong guy shooting the basketball uh you better be pretty good at offensive rebounding <laughs> so we we give uh, i know it's it's not in vogue in modern basketball with the positionless offenses and things like that. But we still give our kids a role and that comes back to, to square one for us. We're coming from a point of disadvantage. These are things you can do to help us be successful. And the flip side of that coin is if you choose to do things that lend to not being successful, you're just not going to play. And getting kids to buy into that is probably the, the cornerstone of our culture. How do we do that? Well, we really value kids that screen off the ball. We don't set screens on the ball. Um, so we celebrate. And I, I spend just as much time talking to the media about everybody wanted to talk about Jason Wanamaker or Sean Flanagan when they had those guys. And they dedicated themselves to becoming fantastic shooters. But it's who's getting them open. How did they get them open? Of course, you got to go back to the, the shape up. Sean or Jason made cutting, but that kid uh, sacrificing their body to screen was uh, was something we celebrated. Uh, we celebrated in practice. 
Um, we, we make the kids who do, do those things feel just as important as the kid making the basket. As a matter of fact, we probably go overboard on it where the kid that puts that much time in the off season, especially when you rebuild a program and make it, you, you develop a great shooter. Well, that goes back to who's screening for him. Teaching kids how to screen off the ball is, is sort of a lost art, but that's that's how we do things. And I think once you give the kids a lot of praise in doing things they do well, uh, that builds a that goes a long way in developing a, a great team chemistry, in which I guess now would be considered culture. Oh yeah, there's no doubt. I'm getting a feel for what you guys what you guys are thinks is important. So. Um, you're really, it sounds like to me, you're, you're really trying to get a feel. You're really teaching unselfish basketball. Um, and you have to do that where all five players are contributing, uh, to the team. Correct. And also you have a series of good bench players that are unselfish as well. Correct. Yes. Um, the toughest thing to do with, with, in my opinion, with modern basketball is to get kids to buy into this isn't something that's a strength for you, but you do this well. And putting them in situations where they can help the team, but you've got to celebrate those things kids can do that lend to getting what you want accomplished in your program. And when you do that, I, I think good things can happen, but, but it's extremely difficult to get to a high school boy's head that you're not a very good shooter, but I can train you to be a screener. Sure. And I can also, and, and one thing we've done over the years is we run a lot of sets for the kids that screen to get them a layup. So they're getting a little bit of a, of the action as far as scoring, and I think that's vital. Um, a kid that sacrifices his body, screening, 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 you've got to give them some things where you're going to run a, a backdoor set for them or a slip set where, especially against a team that maybe hedges real hard off off the ball screens, you know, screen the screener action for them to get them a look under the basket. Right. And you run um... – I was trying to read some stuff on uh, your simplified Princeton offense book. Um, and uh, it was really some good stuff. Tell me about, are you still running a Princeton style offense, which today is actually not in vogue. It's more of the up, down dribble, drive, driving kick, pass cut. Um, so are you still running a Princeton style? No, uh, we, we, <laughs> we, haven't ran, we, we didn't, I went away from that for one reason when I moved to when my wife and I moved to Northwest Ohio where high school football is a religion I was getting bigger kids uh, bigger in stature who could not play on the perimeter so with with, with Princeton you have to have five really good or I'm sorry four really good perimeter players and a post player your center who can pass, and I mean pass at a high, uh, at a high level, and getting these kids that are their first love were football, but love to compete. 
I went right back to um, what I began teaching in my head coaching life, blocker mover. So we went away from Princeton when uh, we moved here to Northwest Ohio. I could take these football guys who might not love basketball as their first love, but they, but they love to compete and put them in a situation where they could screen and be very effective in that role, help reverse the basketball, whatnot, and then take the kids who really loved basketball and spend a lot of time in the off season working on their shooting and ball handling and the fundamental work and put them then in a situation where, okay, you guys hunt the screen and you're going to take a majority of our shots. Now, the flip side of that coin is teach those football kids how to offensive rebound. And we spend a lot of time in our practice sessions teaching kids how to offensive rebound. And so the Princeton stuff was great when it worked for us, when I had kids when I was in schools where football might not have been the most important thing. And that's not where I'm at now. Where I'm at now, high school football is – is is extremely important in these communities and and you've also got to know as a head coach you're not going to win that fight in my opinion it's stupid to try to fight that battle um, all these guys want to play for ohio state or university of michigan or notre dame whatever so they're, they're going to put their time in the, on football that's what they want to do so you know blocker mover for us was a great way to take football guys and put them in a situation on a basketball team where they could be successful. And honestly, it's been that simple for us. If you go into a situation where I'm on, Try to, you know, where I, you know, where I Delta now, where a kid like Hunter Tresden Reard, who's a big kid, you know, big for, we're a small school, so he's big, small school, big, well, he's 6'2, 6'3, broad shouldered, better than average athlete, and he, he's going to be a hell of a football player in college somewhere. But putting him in a situation where he could be a, a contributor on a basketball team. You know, it, it was just that simple for us. We, we, you know, seeing, seeing my, you know, my first year at Maumee, seeing what I had, I knew right away that Princeton was out. It wasn't going to be a good fit. Me, me teaching Princeton to those kids was going to be ultra selfish on my part because they were not going to be able to do it. Yeah, that's a smart move, kind of looking at your personnel and where you're at, right? Probably that's great advice for us coaches. Like, look at your personnel. Maybe even look at your personnel each year and adjust. Or, or, or should you have a very similar uh, system throughout your whole career and just make slight adjustments? What do you recommend? I, I think you find something you're comfortable with that meets the needs of the community you're in. At Maumee, I knew, uh, you know, when we had John Bowles coaching our football team, every kid in that district wanted to play for John and he's the all time winningest football coach in mommy's history. And he was arguably the best high school football coach I'd ever seen. And we could adjust our blocker mover year to year with what we had, 
but I knew as far as uh, me going head, if I walked into the gym one day and said, Hey, I want you guys to strictly focus on basketball and make football your second love. Uh, I would have had, you know, half of my kids look down at their shoes immediately. That, that wasn't going to happen. It wasn't realistic. Sure. I mean, if I was a high school kid at that period of time at Maumee, I, I would have wanted to play for John. John was one of those high school bat or high school coaches it was special. He was a, there wasn't one thing John Bowles was bad at. Watching John Bowles football practices wasn't just aesthetically pleasing. It was it, tactically, it was the most impressive thing, impressive, impressive thing I'd ever seen in high school athletics. Um, John taught his wide receivers footwork better than most basketball coaches teach footwork. So not only did I learn a lot from John, but I also learned that um, in order for me to get these kids out on the basketball team and keep them in the game of basketball, I was going to have to do things with them where I'm, my staff and I are looking for ways to put them on a basketball team where they can do things to, that lend to success. Right, and that's a smart move. I, uh, and I know football is big because I've, I've had a couple coaches. Um, uh, I know Coach Flaherty. Uh, I spoke to him, and he um, from Ohio. And I had Coach Brown, uh, another uh, legendary coach in, in Ohio. I've had him on the podcast, and they always say football first in Ohio. It's very similar to what's going on out here in Georgia. I mean, football is big. Um, and I, I love what you're saying on kind of adjust to where you are. Coach, talk about practice structure because I think your best coaches have a philosophy and a system to practice. Yeah, practice for us is, in, for me, the most uh, stressful days of my life are game days. I, I do not enjoy games. Um, I never have. Uh, Game days for me, I'm a train wreck. Uh, but practices are, selfishly speaking, are my that's my comfort comfort zone. Uh, practices for us, number one, we want them to be as competitive as possible. We think the first five minutes of your practice session sets the tone for the rest of the practice. Uh, we want them to be as fast paced and have as much going on at one time as possible. We, we want the kids to be in a situation where they're learning on the fly, but also when we teach, we are very specific in our teaching. We want the same terminology in our elementary program, our middle school program, high school program. But when we teach to teach the kids, we want things to be ultra specific make sure there's no clarification. I guess the best way to put um, practices in my estimation, I, I, I learned from uh, Don Meyer back in the 90s at a clinic, and it's something I never forgot, was a blind person should be able to come into your practice and sit for the two, two and a half hours and walk out and know unequivocally what your daily emphasis was on both ends of the ball defensively and offensively, whether it's closeouts, uh, meeting the pass, whatever your daily emphasis is, but a blind person should be able to come into your gym 
and leave having no reservations about what your emphasis was that day. Um, I'm not a guy that can have more than one emphasis in a practice. So we have a daily emphasis on offense, daily emphasis on defense. And it's not to say we don't teach other things in that practice, but whatever those two daily emphasis are, are going to be uh, known unequivocally. Yeah, and I love that because I think sometimes we coaches, uh, we try to do too much in practice, right? And I think sometimes that one – it's hard to get better at one thing, let alone five, six, seven. I think sometimes even before games we give our coaches, our players too much information, correct? I think so. I The things we do on both sides of the ball are all based on – specificity and hard work, um, getting your job done, doing your job to the best of your ability, giving every kid a role, a, a clearly defined role in which they can be successful in. And, and, and everything sort of, sort of stems from that. And, and going back to my first point, getting the kids to understand that you're coming from a point of disadvantage. There's nothing more gratifying in high school athletics than your team going out and beating a team, which on paper you had no business beating in, 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 in making it happen. And, and that's when really the joy in high school athletics, in my opinion, uh, are at its highest. When, when you can walk in the locker room after a game and look at your team and say, and tell them you guys just beat a team that's going to win 17, 18 games this year. And you just simply out-fundamentaled them, outworked them. You did everything that you could do within your ability. And it, it, it came to fruition for us tonight. It worked. You, you guys you, you guys beat someone you shouldn't on paper have beaten. And when your mantra is, we're coming from a point of dis- disadvantage, that's when things start to click in your program. I think that the real buy-in happens after that first win against someone or against a team where the local media or whoever, you know, with social media now, who you know, you shouldn't have beat these guys, but you did. And here's why. And then I, I really believe that's, that's one of the biggest steps forward you can take in your program. Yeah, and yeah, and it gives you an identity, doesn't it? And I think every program needs an identity, and some programs probably have the identity that, you know, with a lot of talent, you know, maybe it's a little bit different. But with your program, you're saying that you guys have to do all the little things, correct? Yeah, there, there's no stone unturned uh, when it comes to game preparation, scouting, all those things. Uh, when when your kids beat someone they shouldn't beat. It's the most gratifying thing that can happen to a head coach, in my estimation. Yeah, absolutely. There, there is no better feeling than that, and I've had that a few times and so forth. Um, yeah, that that that's just sheer joy. Coach, give me your best practice drill. I always try to get one drill from every coach I talk to. And many times I kind of steal the drill. So if I, if I steal your favorite drill, don't take it personally. Uh, what, what's no, your... every, yeah. every, everything we, we do has been stolen. Um, I'm not the most original person in the world. Yeah. 
Um, defensively, the simplest thing I think we do that uh, that would be my favorite drill is uh, our zone slides. We play primarily 95% 2-3 zone. And we break the slides down for the forwards, the guards, and the centers into a drill we call zone slides. And it's measurable. We set the clock at 20 seconds, and kids run. There's no ball involved. They run their slides that they have to run in their in our zone, and we record those every day. So if Mike Eckenrode right now, we have projected to be our B guard in our zone, his best right now is eight in 20 seconds. So then that next practice, we're challenging. My assistant coaches are very active in practice. They're, they're from – the plyometrics we do to start practice, to everything, they're, they're up in the kids hard. And Mike knows that um, his goal is to get nine. So I think having things that are measurable are very important, especially with millennials. Millennial kids can get measurable, um, mainly because of the video games they play. They want to do their, you know, outdo their best, best score. On the offensive side of the ball, um, we uh, have to play fairly deliberately. So we simply just go. Now, this is after we've, this is, you know, like week three of practice, after we've gotten the structure of our offense in. And, you know, it's Delta. This is my second year. So it might be week two for us this year. We simply go five-man weave down, five-man weave back, and I have three kids on one side of the court below the uh, old hash mark with an assistant coach, and on the opposite side, on the opposite sideline with a different assistant coach, I have two players. So after the second five-man weave and the ball's gone through the net, Matt Brighton yells, go. And the five players on the sidelines take off on offense. So our players now, after they've made the layup on five-man weave, everybody has to cross the free throw line on the layup side. They've got to sprint back and get a stop. They got to get back in our zone and get a stop. If they get the stop, they transition to the opposite side. And on the scoreboard, on one side, we have a number. And that number equates the number of passes they have to make. And on the opposite side of the uh, scoreboard, we have a number, one, two, three, four, five. And that's the number, player's number, who has to score. Whether it's your five-man, four-man, three-man, two-man, one-man. So they have to run offense for that specific number of passes. And that certain player on the other side of the scoreboard has to be the player to score. The only uh, leeway we give them is that someone can score on a backdoor cut prior to that. We never discriminate the kids from scoring off a backdoor because we get pressured so hard. So if they score, they're out. They get to go get a drink of water, and we go with 10 different kids then. If they don't score, then they have to line it up and do it all over again. So I would say that would probably be our best offensive drill. Yeah, I love that. You were talking earlier about transition. Um, I, I totally agree with you. I think you have to have transition pretty much in every drill um, because I, I think it's it's unnatural. For, for, yeah, I think you really have to work at it. And I think it's assumed 
kids know how to transition, particularly back to defense. Yeah, transition really is the most important thing in basketball, in my opinion. Um, transition defense, you you cannot give layups. You've got to get back. You've got to get the ball stopped, and you've got to find their best shooter, and you've got somebody um, monitoring that best shooter right now. You can't you, – you, their best post, uh, post player has to have someone on them. You, you, the, the, we spend probably just as much time on our transition defense as we do any other aspect of our defense – Transition offensively, um, even though we do play deliberately, we still get out and on any d- defensive rebound. We push the ball as hard as we can. Uh, we, we call it our slow break. And if we can get a quickie, we, we'd love that. Um, so we spend an inordinate amount of time during our practices on transitioning. Um, we, we, we call it one, two, three. Your, your first three steps in changing directions are the most crucial steps in transitioning, whether it's offense or defense. Those first three steps have got to be all-out power sprints and get back on defense, turn, talk, find. And offensively, get the ball to the wing and look ahead and go. Uh, we don't do a lot of dribbling in our transition game, but we try to get the ball going from baseline to baseline as quickly as we can via the pass. Yeah, and I'm going to go back to your 2-3 zone a little bit. I only got a couple more questions because I know you're busy tonight. Um, I love – I tell you, I, I think the zone is – probably should be utilized more in the high school level. I see a lot of teams that are undermanned using man-to-man, and I have no clue why they're doing that. And I said, why don't teach a great matchup zone? Why do – I think man-to-man's overused in many programs. Am I wrong? I, I don't know. I, every coach has a philosophy. Um, we went to 2-3 zone for two reasons. Uh, the first being it gave everybody a very defined role, which was measurable. Two – it allowed us to spend more time teaching offense. Okay. Um, I think at, at the highest level, and we're in the Northwest Ohio Athletic League, which is a not a good league. It's a great league. The Maumee, we were in the Northern Lakes League, which is an absolute grinder. Uh, great coaches in both leagues. Um, it's harder, I think, to score points than it is to get stops. And – by us going to two, three zone back way back when, um, I, I guess here's the deal. Uh, coaching man to man, we we used to coach pack line. And in order to be a good man to man defensive team, you have so much you have to teach. That's for sure. Sure. And a good coach is going to find, and, and no matter if it's zone or man to man, what you're not very good at, and they're going going to attack it. The other thing was zone is most coaches spend a lot more time working on their man-to-man offense than they do their zone offense. And so we just came to a realization years ago. We felt like the numbers were in our favor. Let's just try to be the best zone team we can. And we still teach some man-to-man. You have to. But we spend far more time teaching zone than we do man-to-man. 
Right, right. It makes sense. And what type of system you're trying to build there? You try to extend it out with maybe a two, two, one every once in a while, or are uh, you primarily two, three? It's a ball oriented zone. There's no matchup qualities to it. It's um, keep the ball in the short corner, keep the ball off the high post. We do do some one, two, two back to our two, three, and we do some two, two, one, two, three quarter court press back to our two, three. I think if you're going to be a zone coach, you have to be able to go three quarter court or four, four, full court. If you have the athletes and give the opposition more than one thing to worry about. Sure. Uh, I think that's vital, but in going back to the, the half court two, three zone, the thing we like most about it is it's measurable. Where are the points being scored from? Who's in that area? Who's not doing their job? And I, I know you could do that with man-to-man too, but I'm so OCD. It would come down to finding out who where the breakdown was on man-to-man. And hell, very often it's not the guy guarding the ball or the guy guarding side. It's the people on the or the people on the strong side. It's someone on the weak side not doing their job on the weak side. So zone for us was a lot easier to teach because I know this won't make sense to a lot of people with zone. You had never have an opportunity to rest. Never. And man to man, it always, we always felt like when the ball was declared on the right side of the floor, the guys on the left side of the floor, it, it was hard for us to keep them in a stance and keep them motivated because in their mind, they're out of the play. In reality, they're the most important factors, really, of the defense because your your ball side makes you tough and your weak side makes you successful. But in zone, we could tell a kid, you know, you're not sitting down in a stance. You, you don't have boxer's feet. Your feet aren't pumping. And that ball gets skipped. You're SOL. You're going to get a three busted on you. So it was easier for us to get kids to buy in to sitting down off the ball on the weak side of the floor and zone than it was in man to man. Right. Right. That, 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 I mean, that's great insight. And I, I really appreciate you sharing with us. Um, and coach, let's, uh, my, my second to last question here is coaching clinics. It seems like you're a believer in coaching clinics and I run my own clinic out here in Georgia called the legends clinic. I have coaches from all over the country coming. Um, and I would love to actually see if you can come down next year uh, tell me about the why coaches should attend live clinics. Clinics, and we're, we're going through this now. Clinics right now are a really good topic because, in my opinion, from being a, a person, my staff and I, we, we administer a lot of clinics. Um, and I was the president of our coaches association for years, and now I'm the director of clinics. And with social media, YouTube, Twitter, people can get on their computer and, um, and watch other coaches in action, which is great. So coaches clinics have, have taken a hit uh, compared to where they were back when I first started coaching and running clinics. But when you go to a coaches clinic, I think you're able to see firsthand what people do and you can ask questions. You can't ask questions to a computer or an, or an iPod. And I, I, I'm not a technology guy. Um, uh, my wife was petrified of me trying to do this tonight because this isn't my cup of tea as far as getting up, but whatever. But so coaches clinics are, are a dying 
art right now, but I think what people got to understand is you can go to a coach's clinic and actually find that coach afterwards and talk to him and, and get more insight. Uh, I, I think there's, they're still very, very important in our game. Um, I think the other thing with coaches clinics is if you're going to a coach's clinic and you look to your right and you look to your left and you don't see the other coaches whom you've got to compete against that year and you pick a couple things up, you just got an advantage. And I know you can say the same thing about watching a video on YouTube, but if you don't go to the coaches clinic and that clinic's not posted online, they're not the, your opposition is not going to have the opportunity to see those things. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And I think what you said is very true is um, you build a relationship with a coach. Matter of fact, if, um, you know, somebody's listening to Derek Sheridan, he, you, you know, they can, they can talk to you afterwards, but they can contact you. They can get a huddle video from you based on that same topic. I think, I think that's really important for us coaches to build relationships. Oh, absolutely. You know, I, networking is, is vital you find and that's been a, a catalyst for me you, you find some guys whom you relate with and you want to be able to teach the way they teach and you have a relationship with them where you can email them or call them um, that that goes a long way for for you in your development as a head coach um, you know the you know basically what we tell kids you know, going back to, you know, the modern terms culture, if you build a house, you know, you're looking at a, on a piece of paper, the front of a house, the windows, you know, you could name one window, um, your uniforms, you could name one window, your, um, pregame snap pants, the other window, your shooting shirts, another window could be your shoes, but the foundation of the house are your core values, your system, your non-negotiables, your philosophy, uh, what you stand for. And when you always go back to your foundation, those other things all of a sudden become minuscule, for lack of a better term. You know, I think coaches clinics can really add to your core values, your system, your non-negotiables, your philosophy. Maybe it's your team rules, whatever. Because those are the things that really set your program up for being recognizable or being different, um, sticking out for one or two things. So I think most of your decisions as a head coach have to be grounded on your foundation. And coaches clinics certainly help you add to or strengthen your foundation. Hey, coach. Hey, there. 
hey, continue on. We were saying, I, I think uh, both of us agree that clinics are very valuable to coaches. Um, but more importantly, by listening to and being around great coaches, I think you take a piece of them with you back to your program. Yeah, uh, I, I think so. Uh, one of my first bosses told me, if you can take one thing away from a coach's clinic, then that was a successful day. Uh, I can't believe that. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. And I would love to get um, some contacts from you, some of the some of the great coaches out there in Ohio, because I know and Indiana, because I know basketball is important out there. And I think the teaching of the game in that area is probably stronger than anywhere else in the country. Before you go, tell us about how good basketball is in your area. Northwest Ohio is a really interesting spot, Kevin. Um, we're close enough to Indiana to get some of that nice basketball in our area, but North, you know, Northern Lakes League. When I coached at Maumee, you had to go against Dave Boyce at Perrysburg, Brian Borcher, and Anthony Lane. Um, you know, some of the guys there. I would rather spend a weekend at my in-laws' house than have to coach against them on a regular basis. Right. Um, Indiana, especially when I was in the LAC, every darn game it felt like we were going against somebody who had won 400 games. So they were not going to beat themselves. So you, you know, simple things like getting the basketball reversed. Um, trying to get the basketball reversed against Tom Johnson, plays at Crown Point, was not easy. It made the entire complexity of your game plan change. Because Tom was not going to allow the basketball to go from top side, side top side. So you had to do some things to be able to get the ball changed from one side of the floor. In the same with Dave Boyce uh, at Perrysburg, it's tough to get reversal. And when your team doesn't score a lot of points, you go two or three trips without scoring. And that could end up, you know, a 9-0 run. That could lead to a 9-0 run or whatever. Nothing good. So, basketball in Northwest Ohio is fantastic. It's it, it's really, really good. Very good, very well-coached teams. Um, the fan base is strong. You know, we, you got a lot of people in attendance at the games. So, it's, it, it's, it's, a, it's a great place to coach, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I've spoken with some great coaches. You probably know them on the podcast. Um, um, you know, just take a look at some of the great out there. Coach, my last question is this. What is one word that you have for your team this year that you would like implemented? One word? One word. One word. Uh, one word. Yeah. Sorry to put you on the spot. No, no. Um <laughs> Role synonymous with do your job. Okay. That would be it'd either be that or the word disadvantage. Okay. Going back to that, you know, everything we do, every practice plan we make, 
every coach's meeting we have starts off with worded disappointed. Yeah, and uh, I love that, and it goes back to um, goes back to your culture, goes back to your philosophy. You might not call it culture, but that's how you're building your program. It sounds like you're selling that every day to your kids that they really have to do the extra, right? Yeah, yeah, it, it, yeah. It goes back to the most gratifying feeling you can have as a high school athlete or a coach is when you've won a game where nobody thought you had a chance. Which, to you know, the civilians, John Q. Public, who's never coached, and, you know, many of our parents now haven't played a varsity sport, they have no idea what goes into making that happen. Yeah. Yeah, I, and I totally agree. And I, it just sounds like you're doing a terrific job building that program. I really want to wish you the best in continuing to build it at Delta. I'm going to really keep, uh, keep informed and keep abreast on how you're doing. And, Coach, if you can kind of keep me um, abreast on all the great coaches out there, I would love to interview uh, some of your top coaches that you face, and I would love to get them on the podcast if you don't mind doing that. I would be more than happy to. And coach, give me one final piece of advice for a coach who's starting out. And what is one or two things you can give to them to kind of help them in their, in their, in their, in their process of building a program? Uh, Number one, keep kids on your roster who you believe and who they've sold to you as the head coach they're going to buy in. And anything outside of that purview, disregard. Uh, Secondly, I would say be very specific in your teaching. You can't really teach with enough specificity. I love that. That would be my top two things. I love that. And I don't uh, <clears throat> love how you kind of really focus on specificity. I, I love that. Uh, and, and I'm, and you have made it very clear. I believe in, and I appreciate you taking time out to share about your program and your beliefs. Coach, I wish you the best. And um, Hey, again, good luck this season. coach. And thanks Stephanie for helping us out. <laughs> yeah, I definitely will do that. Uh, she, she's been the best coach's wife anybody could ever imagine having, having, and I wish you the best, Kevin. Yeah, absolutely. And um, if you have any more, I know you have a lot of different resources. Um, make sure the coaches know like your how to contact you and you have some good resources out there, coach. I think coaches need. Yeah. My, my e- email address is uh, D E R E K dot S H E R I-D-A-N-4-4 at gmail.com. And uh, I've got, geez, I think seven of my old assistants now are head coaches, so I could give people their contact information if they'd rather pick their brains. Because those guys, uh, I've been blessed in my career to have some fantastic assistant coaches uh, who were well more advanced and more modernized than, than I am. 
and probably ever will be, but, but I've, I've, I've been very, very lucky. And, you know, going back to what you asked about giving young coaches advice, if it comes down between hiring a guy or a gal that is going to be loyal and be attentive and absorb everything you want done and they're eager to, to please and, and make the head coach's job easier versus hiring someone who might have more basketball experience. Uh, I tell people go with, with, with the person who, who has lent you believe to lend you believe that they're going to um, absorb your system and be able to teach what you want taught. And now it takes a lot of effort on the head coach's part to get them where you want, want them to be. But those guys and gals are going to be the ones who make your program what you want it to be. And that's nothing to say that, that the other way's wrong, but it's, there's no wrong, you know, and, and coaching your way's the right way, whatever you say goes, but I've had so much success and or so much, um, not necessarily success, but so much um, gratifying experiences taking guys who didn't come in with a great basketball pedigree and they've left our program and had success as a head coach, um, learning the, the simple things that we do. And it doesn't have anything to do with X's and O's. It's just about how to run your program, how to treat kids, how to deal with parents, um, all those things that really at the end of the day, assure that you get, you, you get to sign a contract for the next year. So I think training your coaches and selecting your coaches is just as important as how you select your team. If you've got a guy or a gal on your team that hadn't bought in as far as, you know, a player or a coach, you're going to end up fighting a lot more battles than, uh, than what you're willing to fight. Cause there's only so many hours in a day. You know, one of our lines is we want to play offense a lot more than we want to play defense. And that doesn't have anything to do with, tactics of basketball it's just moving forward and doing what you can in the running or administration of your program not to take steps backwards and that's something that i think is 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 very important you've got to have people on your staff that not only believe in you but believe wholeheartedly in what you teach and they're more worried about teaching what you want taught versus what they want to teach you know, once they get their own head coaching job, they can do things however the heck they want. But when they're with you, they need to be 100% both feet in the boat on your side. And that goes with whether they're talking in practice or they're out at Walmart and they run into somebody that uh, wants to ask them questions. Whoever talks to your assistant coaches has to walk away unequivocally 100% knowing that that coach is 100% on the head coach's side. And I think that's something that gets overlooked a little bit. Huddle is the preferred video and analytics platform for over 6 million users and 150,000 teams worldwide. Huddle offers a complete performance platform including the most powerful and flexible tools for video analysis with online tools, mobile and desktop apps, smart cameras, analysts, and more. 
For more information on Huddle, check out hudl.com or at Huddle on Twitter and Instagram. Hey coach, this is Brad Shutter calling from Plymouth, Wisconsin. I um, want to thank you for doing the podcast. I've learned a lot from it. Um, I am an elementary FIED teacher and a girls basketball coach. So we have a lot in common. I like the fact that you um, do a mix of both of the FIED teachers and the coaches as well. Um, keep up the great work. Um, and once again, appreciate um, all you do to grow the game. Thanks. We would like to invite you to the Coach's Mindset Clinic held Saturday, November the 16th at 9 a.m. at Model High School in Rome, Georgia. This is sponsored by the Rome Area FCA and there will be no cost. Feature speakers will be Doug Duke speaking on sports and mental health and Adam Weingarten speaking on character development and team culture. If you have any other questions, please reach out to Milt Travis at 678-386-7921.